Hello, listener. Welcome to Tiny Giant Jams number 33. Number 33. That's amazing. We've got so far. Anyway, this is being released, this one, this podcast episode, on a very specific day, which is Tuesday, the 8th of October, 2019, which is Ada Lovelace Day. If you have no idea what Ada Lovelace Day is and what it stands for and why it stands for and who it stands for, um, I'll put something in the notes underneath the, or in, in the podcast episode for you to, to delve in. But if it, you are listening to this on Tuesday, the 8th of October, well, it's Ada Lovelace Day. And because of that, we decided to, we wanted to speak to someone um, who loves technology, really, really loves technology. So we got in touch with Eleanor Corchiro, Director of Emerging Technology at News Corp, someone we met well, maybe about a year ago at, at an event in London. Um, and we were totally won over by her kind of uh, energy and excitement for all things technology and all things new. So um, we got in touch and she said she'd come on the show. And so um, we are so excited. So you don't hear me ramble on. So let's hear what uh, Eleanor's got to say on with the show. Hi, hello Richard, how's it going? Very good, thank you. All right, yeah, right, let's get some context on this particular Tiny Giant Jam and we'll talk about why um, we particularly wanted you to come on today and tell us about all the sort of stuff you're into and all the stuff you do. Um, but I think for, for the listener, it always, it's almost, it's a tradition now as we're in, you know, into our deep 30s in Tiny Giant Jams for our, our guest to sort of explain who they are, where they come from, and, and what they do really give them a sense a sense of who the person who we're going to talk to today so if it's all right with you i'm i'm going to give you the floor if that is all right <laughs> Just to well, tell who you are um well i'm elena conchero as you said i'm originally spanish actually but i've been abroad for many many years i studied in germany i've been in the states uh, in dublin in scotland and now i'm here in london um and uh, well, in the States, I, I was uh, very lucky to work with the MIT Media Lab. And I think that's really where everything started. My, my passion for technology really started there. I was very lucky uh, that I was the designer in the team of wearable technologies. So I learned electronics at the Media Lab. And I think since then, I'm kind of hooked to this whole uh, technology uh, era. No? Um, then, well, I moved because of wearables. I also did a lot of experimentation on biometrics. And then I moved into IoT, which is where we met last year. I was the futurist of the unruly home, um, yeah. where we were exploring, um, let's say, exploring how consumer behavior is changing because of the Internet of Things and how brands will eventually make their ways, uh, hopefully safely and respectfully, into our homes. Um, and that's, uh, that's where we met last year. Uh, and now, well, Unruly is owned by News Corp. So now I'm the director of emerging technologies at News Corp globally, but based here in the UK. But you do, I will say, you do, I've noted, I've noted that you do jet around from place to place. Obviously, yeah. in your past as well. 
uh, yeah, I think when you are from a, I wouldn't say an island because UK is an island, but, but when you are from a tiny place, um, you just either stay there or you just have this bug for discovery and see how how big the world is and where the limits are. And I think I somehow had that bug. So. Okay, now I've got a question. I've got this, yeah. Sorry, listener. I do have to ask this. This is personal to the fact that I did get the opportunity to go to Unruly last year. Uh, yes. That, you know, the, the, the future home that, mm -hmm. that was there, is it still there? Uh, well, it's not so easily accessible oh. anymore because uh, the concept is shifting and that's why I'm here at, uh, at News Corp. So we are looking not just at the Internet of Things, we're looking at a much, much broader um, quantity of, of technologies, how everything that you have heard about is um, it's finally colliding, which I think is very interesting. So finally, AI is here. Finally, AR glasses are here. Finally, you know, everything. Um, and we're especially looking a lot into how 5G might be the glue or not <laughs> to yeah. put all of these together because there is a huge 5G divide on the rollout and the spectrums and so on. Um, so it's fascinating just that at the moment we don't have a, a space like the Unruly Home, but we are getting there. We're getting there. I've got to say, uh, having had the, the good fortune that particular evening to have a little tour of the Unruly Home, obviously there was a lot of voice control and all that sort of stuff and all the amazing yeah. I was amazed how of all the things one could do that was interesting in the Unruly Home, the deepest fascination I had was opening and closing the curtains with voice. Oh, really? How come? <laughs> How come? <laughs> no, I just think the other thing, curtains open, Alexa, open the curtains. Or it, yeah. And I just thought, well, and then because obviously it had two systems running, didn't it? Because you could use both, couldn't you, to trigger it? And see. Uh, oh, yes, yes, we had. Yeah, uh, so, so something very interesting is to understand how to be brand agnostic. Not yeah. enough companies are realizing that the consumer doesn't want to be locked into a system. Um, and obviously companies want you to be logged into a system, but our exploration was totally brand agnostic. Yeah, because I seem to remember that. that, that I, I seem to spend an inordinate amount of time asking Alexa to close the curtains and asking Google to open them again. I think it was a chapter <laughs> BS. But there we go. It was good fun. Now, yeah. let's, let's come back to you in technology, right? I, mm -hmm. I'm interested, just when you talked about your background there and you've travelled to lots of places and we find you now in, in London, yeah. But saying you had a you had you discovered a love of technology at MIT, but I'm thinking by the very fact that it was already called MIT and you chose to go there, that yeah. that love must have been fostered before there in some ways. If you see what I mean. What What do you mean? What do you mean? Oh, in fact, that it is the very fact that the, the place where you were heading to is kind of well known has a has a sort of reputation as being yeah. a sort of a, a world leading technological hub. So I would find mm -hmm. it surprising if you went there unaware that technology was there for you to play with, so to speak? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, the thing is, I, I ended up in the media lab. So the media lab, in difference with the traditional MIT, is where, well, actually, this was from out of the brain of Nicolas Negroponte. He thought, OK, we come across quite talented people that they don't actually, that you can sense that they have something, but they don't actually fit in any of the academic disciplines or curriculum and they will just throw everyone that was that was different uh, into the media lab and then see what happens and that's that's actually now 
a model that most companies try to follow, how to have multidisciplinary teams. And for example, when you mentioned gender, that was never an issue. I got in there uh, without having electronic knowledge or an engineering degree, and, and they just taught me how to uh, how to adapt and grow in that in that arena. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that answers your oh, question. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. So let's consider let's consider your current role. Can you sort of explain to us, in terms of your your day to day, what your what your task with exploring, understanding, getting to sort of grips with? Uh, okay, well, why it's important? Well, first, I'll say why it's important. So, I think it's a very smart initiative for News Corp. I mean, News Corp is just massive, right? Um, to realize, but it's still like any other, other large company, there is the technology floor, then there is the commercial floor, you know, so there is, there, there is silos. And, um, and what's interesting is that although the emerging technology practice might sound like it comes, uh, it's important only for technology. Here is the other way around. My role is to make sure that I connect with all the verticals of all the different companies that News Corporation has, and we analyze for everyone uh, the, the things that they can do today yep. to, to help adapt to what's coming, which is coming quite strongly and fast uh, with emerging technologies. Um, so the every the every day is actually right now. I've only been two months in the role. Right now is setting up a, a hub, a platform where we can get everyone into the conversation and uh, courses, a variety of courses to to make sure everybody has the same level of awareness and knowledge, uh, and workshops and brainstorming sessions to to understand what we can do today and and also who to partner. A very important part is how we're gonna. Um, build our own products or partner with companies for different matters. So is it, is it fair to say that your kind of remit is about almost way not only exploring technology but connecting people to actually make these things practical and come to life because often you get technology and it's very disparate and it's very hard to join join the pieces together to make it work? Um, yeah probably but it's because of this it's because companies say okay that's the technology corner that's the technology people <laughs> and we are doing our own thing on the side and and um, and I think being technology first is what has to happen from now on to everybody well it should have been happening for a while so um, yeah not only technology companies should be able to have these conversations within within all their teams it's just now uh, any company today who needs to to put these ideas in place, like how is AI going to affect the entire company and, and so on. Because we, we are looking at how it's going to affect uh, consumers, because that's going to affect the products uh, and the services that we have, but then also how it's going to affect our financial models, how it's going to affect the way we work as well. So there are many, many, there are many, many areas and it cannot be tackled just from the technology uh, floor. So does this mean like day to day you get to, oh, it sounds like great, if, if it's true, do you get to handle and try out all these kind of emerging technologies in a way? Uh, yeah, we're, we're not running hackathons and actual tests yet because first we need to analyze the impact and put in place some strategies and partnerships. Um, but I get, uh, well, part of my job is, of course, to, to do primary research and to get my hands 
um, directly onto these gadgets and technologies and try them like I, I'm trying deep fake uh, systems myself to see how fast I can put my face somewhere else um, with just one picture and things like that. You have to try them firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, perhaps tell us what, what are the, so right now, what are, what are the technologies of 2019 and beyond that are exciting you at the moment? And maybe tell us, <laughs> and maybe tell us what it is about them that you find so inspiring. Um, well, I think it all depends. It really, really all depends how 5G is going to roll out. So, you know, don't, don't, don't put my hand on the fire, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, because I will say, before I was doing five-year predictions, okay, and it was kind of all right and stable. But now when you have uh, politicians waking up, waking up one day and changing rules day to night and saying that it's a ban with highway hardware and so on, these are kind of things you, do, you don't predict. Um, so the rollout of 5G is going to be very interesting because of all of these divide, uh, divides and also all the politics and trade wars and so on. Um, but with, uh, with uh, lower latency, what we can create with lower latency, that is incredibly fascinating. Um, maybe more for critical services, such as uh, remote surgery of, or driverless cars and so on. But for the general consumer, it's what I'm starting to call uh, the 2020 vision year. And I don't know if that makes sense for you, but uh, it's kind of a joke on the idea of having 2020 vision, you know, when you go to the optician. Yeah. Um, 2020 is the year of the glasses, finally. Finally and for real. <laughs> it's oh, the year okay. where, where people will be more open about starting wearing smart glasses in the day to day. Right, then why do you, you sound quite confident with that. So what, yeah. what, why, do you, oh, yeah. why do you think that then? I mean, we've been here before. We've been there before, and that's one of the reasons, because we've been there before, a while back, uh, but the technology was not good enough, the bandwidth was not good enough, um, and actually, it's something I'm very interested in when I talk about future technologies, is the sociological impact, society is ready. So a big, a big problem is when people were talking about the Google Glass and they call, they call people the glass hole, right? Um, we were just not ready for that. But um, because of the evolution of wearable technologies and how now we talk to mid-air because we have a headpiece and people go in the streets and it looks like they're talking to themselves and so on, um, or you're constantly looking at your watch when you have a notification and so on, now we are ready for someone to, to have a smart glasses on and not be such an alien, alienating thing. Yeah, I can. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll share it with the listeners as well, uh, Eleanor. I um I went on an experiment once from Bristol to Weybridge. No reason why it was Weybridge in Surrey, but it was. <laughs> and I wore I wore a pair of Google Glass on my face all the time to see what the reaction was. Yeah. It, on the, on public transport on a train. That it was not a good reaction. That's all I'm saying. And in how the end, long, how long ago? How long ago was this? Do you know? Uh, this is about this is about 2014. And um, yeah, this dude at one point, maybe 2013, maybe early 2015, this one guy on the train actually got up and asked me to remove them because he thought oh I, but he thought I was spying on him. So I didn't wear them back from Weybridge to Bristol. I can tell you that. Oh, like, sorry. The world was not the world wasn't ready, was it? I think they were, they yeah. were a great novelty, and you know there was a certain amount of fun like brushing the side of of the um, yeah. 
Google Glass and speaking to it. But yeah, I can see in many ways. You can see that. I mean, I think I didn't um, Amazon recently. They've been started bedding orders into into a lot more thing into glasses, didn't they? Yeah, last week. Uh, or the week before, sorry, I lost track last week. Yeah, <laughs> I have to, I have to keep track of so much stuff. But uh, yeah, actually, if you if if you want, I can tell you the top three evidence that the glasses are ready. Oh yeah, come on, tell us. Okay, evidence number one: the glasses might not have to have necessarily uh, a visual uh, input, right? So right. you have first the Bose frames, and now the Alexa Echo frames which are uh, frames that you can wear and they both actually they are kind of identical on what they're trying to uh, on their goal um, where um, you will get your notifications directly on the glasses so they have a speaker it's not bone conduction it's actually just the speakers that are uh, directional facing to your ear and apparently no one else can hear it but it has a mic uh, and then you don't have to wear earphones basically to just wear the glasses nice but it's only voice eventually what for eventually so that you can have augmented reality uh, only via voice so right now for example google has a partnership with museums you can be in any museum you can snap a picture with your google camera you can snap with a pixel phone for example snap a picture of any art piece and it will take you directly to the website of the of the um, of the museum with the explanation and that's uh, with the explanation and that's kind of what people expect but it's intrusive you have to think that that experience is actually intrusive you still have to um, you still have to take your phone out and then instead of looking at the RPs you are reading information about it mm -hmm. what the glasses will allow you is that they will be aware of their environment which they are not yet and they can give you voice information about anything you're looking at that's what Bose is exploring, for example, in the car environment. They can already do this inside of a car if you're wearing the glasses. And, and eventually everywhere, the same with the Echo glasses. So fact number one, sorry. That was, that was just one, sorry. Yeah, come on. Well, fact number um, two, then. Um, and then, well, number two, we are actually next week. I'm going to try the focal glasses, which I tried in... Um, which I tried at CES, but we're going to get Oron. And this is uh, Focals by North. And it's uh, something very interesting that is happening. A lot of companies are coming together to develop these things. So this is Intel technology. Um, but then Amazon has invested in them, but the company is from Canada. And it's just very interesting. Uh, these ones will have notifications, visual notifications. So that they, they don't understand your environment but um, they can send you notifications in the same way that you get your phone, uh, sorry, your smartwatch notifications together with voice. That's the second level. And yeah. then obviously the third level then is uh, the HoloLens or the Magic Leap and, and so on. The Google Glass is just, it's a project that it still continues, but in, a, in an enterprise manner, Google Glass 2 is for enterprise. Um, and the price tags define that. So under 200 pounds, you have the sound ones. Between 200, 600, you have the notification ones. And then above 600, you will have the ones that are actually contextualized and they can overlay things on your environment. Mm -hmm. So that's and there's your three facts, yeah? Um, well, last one, if you want to add it, but uh, let's see how, how much time you have for all of this. Um, well, 
The, I also wanted to add that uh, we have seen, you have probably seen the teaser of the Pixel 4, and there you can see that you no longer might need to touch your phone, you can just wave at it. And that is, uh, to me, an, an obvious hint that we are <clears throat> trying to understand how consumers feel about waving in mid-air, and also then uh, improving the technology that allows you to understand what the consumer wants to do when they are doing gestures. And that's going to be on the Pixel 4. Okay, so my, I uh, said, so if nothing else, uh, we can come back a year from now, can't we? Right, deep into 2020 and see if this has manifested these predictions. Yes. They're very interesting. No problem. <laughs> I like you putting predictions out there. There's only one thing to do. Revisit them and see what happens. And see what happens. And see what happens. Exactly. Now, um, very. we're doing this on a, a Monday. It's the 7th of October. And I'll turn the listener there about that. Tomorrow is Ada Lovelace Day, okay? Which is obviously one of the reasons um, we thought, great, get really, really talented uh, woman in technology to, to be on the, on the conversation with us. Because... Um, well, it means a lot, right? I wondered what your thoughts were about the, the role of women in technology, the way that's kind of growing, manifesting. How how do you see your acceptance in that world? And maybe how can how can you use days such as Ada Love Day to inspire yeah. more girls and women to to enter the enter the fray, so to speak? <laughs> uh, well, it's 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 an interesting question because obviously. Uh, being a woman in tech is very exciting, but then you you always get asked this, no? how does it feel, What's, what was the struggles, and so on. And I just wanted to say that, that um, to me, it has been uh, such an amazing path, and maybe it's because of how I grew up, mm -hmm. and, and how, I guess, the way I grew up gave me the confidence from very little to, to love science. And, um, and a lot of my work has been uh, on, the, on the educational side, because I think that's really, <clears throat> sorry, um, that's really the, the starting point. So I have, uh, many of my awards have been uh, because of uh, the educational toys that, that I design. And when I grew up, so just to explain, my mother is a tailor. And my father, it's now a lawyer, but when I was young, he was an engineer. So you have to imagine, I grew up in an environment where anything you wanted to create, you could just make it. I made my own clothes, I made my own toys. And then as an adult, that's the career I wanted to have. I was forced into law school first, obviously. My dad wanted me in the end to be a lawyer, but that was not my thing. Um, but the idea that if I imagine something, I can just create it, it's, it's been the key of my entire career, and it's what uh, allowed me to to join the team at the Media Lab and so on. But it started at a very young age, and 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 I think um, within the whole that the whole woman in tech thing or the whole woman in science thing, it's a new thing. But what Ada Lovelace Day reminded us is that women were always there, <laughs> and uh, and. Yeah, I think that's that's the strongest message we can give. It's like, don't worry about what you hear. Women were always there, and we just want to make sure that we still we still are. And and diversity to me is not just about gender. It's anything uh, that can 
give you a multi multicultural and multidisciplinary advantage. Mm. That's the only way you can have proper global impact is if your team is global. I just don't see it in any other way. Uh, and that, call it gender or call it anything else. Um, so yeah, starting from young will be will be my key. And and actually, I have a YouTube channel where I do tutorials and stuff whenever I have time, which is not very often. Um, which I call Joe Steam, actually with an A, Steam, um, because I think maybe if there is anything to say about the women angle, is the arts and humanities that we I think we do have more of a caring vision. Mm-hmm. When we when we think about the impact of uh, of anything, but in this case of technology. See, I, I'm I'm going to put a I'm going to put a supposition out there, right? Don't yeah. shoot me down, listener. Don't shoot me down, Anna. Um, <laughs> the, I think it's quite it's it's quite an important thing. It's, I think it's a general it's a sweeping statement, me. But the, the notion of empathy gets gets banded around a lot at the at the moment. It's a very it's a kind of hot woke topic and that sort of thing. You hear it all the time. But if you if you take a general a general uh, view, well, f- from my perspective, that you know women tend to have more empathy, and I think the notion of empathy and technology is mm-hmm. a, is a very important and often overlooked facet. To be honest, I think it's why a lot of technology fails because people haven't really understood yeah. how how they might interact with the actual individuals. Because I mean, technology is fine, but it's only it's only really successful when it has a real role to play rather than technology for the sake of technology. Um, yeah, exactly. You you nailed it there. Now, the question is if women, you know, if women's empathy is, is, is nature or nurture. Um, it is true, and a lot of studies will say this, uh, like I don't have children yet myself, but it is true. I've heard that uh, especially after giving birth, women become extremely um, empathetical, and that's just a natural development of the human brain uh, to protect the child and that gets translated to anything else. So obviously at, at a moment like that, it's, it's, it's crucial to have that kind of mindset in a team. But sometimes you also might think that maybe not for future generations, but for the generations that we have grown up um, in terms of uh, nurture, women were brought up differently to men. That is changing, which means in the future we might uh, find this empathy everywhere because we have all brought up in a more conscious mm. uh, manner, both men and women. But at the moment we might be women might be a little bit more empathetic because we were create we were growing up like that. Maybe you were growing up with your mom saying to you, uh, look after your brother, you know, and so that's a difference I would like to see over time if it's nature or nurture. Um, but uh, yeah, at the moment there are some differences that are important to notice. It's very good answer. Now um, I noticed, right? Um, I'll just touch this quick. You obviously your job is probably action packed, quite quite full, yeah. But like you mentioned, the YouTube channel that you seem to have a lot, and you've got a, a website, and we're going to put all the links into Thanks. the show notes. <laughs> yeah. But it strikes me you've got a lot of side hustles going on as well. Yeah, maybe that's why I don't have family yet. It's like, well, what else am I going to do well, with I my was time? If you could give some sort of advice about time management. Uh, oh, God, cool. I No, no, no. 
um, no, because at the same time, uh, you know, I don't know what's what's the opposite of a gift when you have a gift, but then you have the counter thing. Um, uh, do you know? Maybe sorry. Um, the curse. The curse. Oh, the curse. Yeah, okay, so yes. It what something. Yes. I mean that's a very harsh word, but I think you get what I mean. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting that others from the outside might see it as a gift. No, oh, I can do this, I can do that, I can do that. Um, for me, it's not not necessarily a curse, obviously, but I just have uh, maybe I don't know if people call it short spam of attention. Yeah. <laughs> or, so I I'll do one thing. And at least I will do it fully. No, it's not like I do one thing and then I don't finish it. And I, I do one thing full on, super interested, make a project, an idea or a video, anything, you name it. I'll do it. But then I quickly need to change my mind to do something else. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do that something else and I'll do it until I cannot do it anymore. And then I'll do it something else. And um that has been sometimes a struggle. For example, I have a few brands, a few products in the market and I sell them and so on. But many times I had investors saying like, okay, Elena, we want to take one of your creations and we want to invest in it and grow it. And, and I'll be like, I just, I just can't give up everything else. And I'm aware that the success of many people have been to just, you know, close the doors to everything and focus on one thing. Yeah. But, uh, I'm truly, honestly, hyper happy this way. So I just, I don't know how to how to change that nature of me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting, you know, from a perspective of um, even our business. I think yes, you it's very easy to you meet people who are very single minded in what they pursue in mm -hmm. terms of their success in a particular field. But actually, there's also something to be said about. I don't know. It's like having a having a large basket of many items as opposed to uh, one good to 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 pass on. Um, so yeah, yeah. We, we, I, I invite the listeners to explore that. So look, we've had some we've had some quality time, nearly half an hour, right? But I will ask one more question. Okay. So one more question. <laughs> yeah. To given them the fact that you know you're there looking at uh, emerging technology, and we've heard about some of it, but. If you were to say to us, what would you say is probably the most exciting brand or form, not brand, a form of tech uh, over the next, I heard you mention the five-year prediction, but if you said there was one thing that you really want to see sort of uh, launch and, and take off, what would it be in the next five years? Or we can make it a prediction. What do you think it will be? <laughs> Well, I do, I do have this dream, or not this dream, but this, uh, well, I don't know how to call it, interest um, in um, the progress of uh, biotech. So okay. I guess it's, it's that part of me where I'm doing something, but then I immediately want to move on into the next thing. No, So yeah, I'm doing technology, blah, 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 but what's going on with biotech? And, um, and I've always thought, and actually it's very funny, at the, at the Media Lab in my interview, they asked me... Um, so if you want to work with us on wearables, what's, what's the future of wearables from your point of view? And I said, and this might have been what got me in, I said, uh, well, that's, uh, wearables is nonsense. <laughs> if, uh, wearables is just this kind of uh, bridge period that humans are going to have to go through until we get better at understanding biology and implants and start embedding all of these in our bodies and so on. 
Um, and I still strongly believe in this, so I'm very interested in what's happening with uh, brain-computer interfaces and neuro uh, neuroprosthetics and all you this kind of area. Up, you've signed yeah. up for Neuralink, have you? Been on to Elon Musk to get yes. those, threads, and, those threads placed into your brain. You're cool <laughs> with that. I mean, some people who listen to this, they're probably blanching away from their headphones if they can possibly do that. But yes. That's not something that has any fear for you, the idea of um, machine-human interface. Well, because I, I, I mean, let's see how things go, but I really, I really believe we are the, the last fully human generation, if that doesn't sound Ooh, scary that's a, that's enough. A big, that's a big claim, isn't it? Oh, my word. The last hum, fully human. So this kind of... Or solely, uh, solely human. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, one, evi uh, I, I try to talk with evidences, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, and this is not new, but how many people go to, to have a plastic surgery uh, procedure? Many people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is just for aesthetic purposes. Yeah. So that means society is ready and or tools and experts are ready. Yeah. Yeah. To disrupt on the body it's not a taboo anymore and it's done for so well obviously many people actually need this but at another level it's more superficial it's, it's, it's for aesthetics reasons mm. um number one number two so if we have the tools and the expertise and the sociological barriers out then we just have to have the technology ready and then later on always come the law for this to to take off so you tell me what's gonna stop you from i don't know you, you tell me oh, <laughs> what's no, gonna I, stop us to be honest I'm, I'm, I'm easy come easy go i went to japan a couple of years ago with my son and i kept telling everyone i was going there to have a chip implanted in me and it was completely not true but everyone nobody went oh you can't do that sort of thing they were all fairly like oh that's nice i suppose you can do so i think you're right the, the, the notion of, of, of oh, I don't want to use the word mutate, but I'm going to, the human body isn't, isn't necessarily, as you say, it's not a taboo from sort of tattoo yeah. plastic. So, so therefore, simply by embedding some technology that improves you in some way or can like look at your, look at your kind of your systems and whatever and make you healthier, this or strong. Yes. It's, it seems a natural, a natural progression, as you say, if the technology's there. And, and the longevity market is, is is massive i'm really looking into this i'm very very interested i be, i strongly believe it's probably one of the biggest markets on top of uh climate change so when you have everything in life what you don't have is more life so any technology that's going to provide us more life obviously with good quality it's a winner uh, but only if we still have an earth to live in so well, that's kind of the prioritization uh, food chain there well, um, and, and on a high uh i was yeah. going to say if, if we do manage to survive uh, you know the extinction event or whatever uh, <laughs> turn it around. there's yeah. every chance you could be doing a podcast i don't know how it would be broadcast a thousand years from now but it, you could still be on there couldn't you if you crash. oh well download my brain and that kind of stuff <laughs> who knows Exactly. Well, look, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to speak to you today. Uh, I'm off to plug my uh, brain into a supercomputer. Mm -hmm. right? And um, thank you very much for being a guest on Tiny Giant Jams. And we'll hopefully speak to you again very soon. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Bye.